Hi, this is Roy Shoman, and welcome again to Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism, the show on Radio Maria that celebrates the Jewish roots of the Catholic Church, or seen the other way around, that celebrates the full fulfillment, the full realization of all of the promise of Judaism in the Catholic Church and her sacraments. Now, today is a, is a first Saturday, and... Um, all of Radio Maria is in some sense, of course, dedicated to the Blessed Virgin Mary. And I hope that in some sense all of my shows are dedicated to the Blessed Virgin Mary. But of course, First Saturdays are especially dedicated to the Blessed Virgin Mary in fulfillment of her request at Fatima um, to uh, follow a sequence of First Saturday devotions for reparation to all of the wounds in her Immaculate Heart. So I think we all know what those um, devotions are. If not, um, you can use our friend or enemy at Google to find out. But um, I don't know if this show is going to actually count as one of those in that category. But in any case, it is very, very Marian today because I wish to spend today talking about a church-approved Marian apparition in France that is very little known, certainly little known outside of France. It occurred in a place called Ile Bouchard, and it was relatively recent. It was 1947, and it's got the support of the local bishop there. I will read, um, perhaps I'll read it now, just so that you understand that, if you excuse the pun, that I'm being completely kosher in claiming that it's in the good graces of the Church. Uh, on December 8th of 2001, you can see how recent all of this was, the, Arch the Archbishop of Tours, which is the diocese in which Ile Bouchard finds itself, André Vantois, uh, pub um, published the following decree. After carefully studying the facts and seeking the counsel of competent individuals, I hereby officially authorize pilgrimages, as well as the public worship celebrated in the parish church of Saint-Gilles in Ile Bouchard to invoke Our Lady of Prayer. The um, apparition, the, uh, the name for the Blessed Virgin Mary with respect to this apparition has become Our Lady of Prayer because she came to solicit prayer to save France from a communist revolution, which was actually underway at the time in nineteen in eight, yeah nineteen forty seven. So, uh, and before I get into it, in the rest of the show, I'm just going to be straight down the line talking about the apparition, what the visionaries saw, what the Blessed Virgin Mary said to them, and so forth. But before I do, by way of introduction. <laughs> I'm trying my hardest to stay away from politics, but it's not going to be easy um, to at least make some allusion to it, because here we have an apparition of the Blessed Virgin Mary, where she explicitly came to France asking the small children to pray, 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 in order to prevent France from being taken over by the communists. So to anybody who wants to say that God doesn't care about human political affairs, or that God doesn't involve himself in politics, or if even if God does, the Blessed Virgin Mary wouldn't get involved in politics. She's above that. Here we have an example of the Blessed Virgin Mary 
very explicitly getting involved in politics. And for what? For what reason? To protect a beloved country from being taken over by a foreign treasonous enemy from within. Now, if you can see any parallels with what's going on today, be my guest. Um, as a matter of fact, she was trying to save France, or she did save France, asked for prayers to save France from being taken over by the communists. If you can see any parallels with what's going on today, be my guest. So that's that's it. <laughs> I'm going to pull back from the... Um, you know, from the fire right now. So let me read a brief description of the context in which this apparition took place. Also, by the way, this is a live call-in program. And the number here is 866-333-MARY or 866-333-6279. And I do invite you to call in at any point during the show and um, with a comment or a question, or even to, in some sense, participate in the conversation. Uh, because I do think that the content of today's show is particularly timely. By, uh, so I'm now beginning to read a description of the context. By 1947, the Soviet Empire began to expand and have influence in France, the communists were poised to take over in France. They were the most organized political force and on the verge of revolutionary success. They were entirely obedient to Stalin, followed his instructions to the letter, and were in constant contact with Moscow. They were involved in acts of sabotage all over France. Trains were being derailed. Food shortages were more severe than during the war, and a general fear shook the entire country. Weapons and military arsenals were being seized by the communists, as bloodthirsty communists looked for opportunities to create chaos. There was also a long, drawn-out general strike, and the economy was on the verge of collapse. Events were out of control, and the elected leaders were powerless to avert what seemed to be a hopeless situation. There were rumors of civil war in France. The French government was so worried that they called up over 100,000 reservists to help defend France in case of total collapse, anarchy, or an invasion, for everyone was prepared for the worst. There was a holy woman named Martha Robin, who was a victim soul and the founder of the Foyers of Charity. She was speaking to her spiritual director on December 8th, the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, in 1947, after the private mass in her bedroom, where she was confined to bed all her life, had taken place. The priest stated that everyone felt that France was collapsing toward a civil war within days, and that the communists were poised to take over France and unite France somehow with Soviet Russia. The plan was to take over the entire Western Europe and place it under communism. Marta Robin, however, told him not to worry, for France was going to be saved by the prayers of little children. That's by way of an introduction, because at the apparition in Neil Bouchard, 
the Blessed Virgin Mary appeared to these four small children, they were aged between 7 and 12, and urged them to pray a great deal to save France, to save France from the communist takeover. Um, the Let me... Um, Give a little background because I mean we're we're living. It's actually not that much later, but we're living what is about seventy five years after this date, and most of us were not alive seventy five years ago. And in any case, it's not a history that's all that well known in the United States. So let me just backfill. Why were the communists on the verge of taking over France and Western Europe? First of all. The communists had taken over a lot of Western Europe, or had tried to. They um, had tried. They had taken over Spain for a while. That was the Republican um, uh, Republican Revolution in Spain that was then put down by Franco, General Franco. Reconquered Spain from the Republicans, but the Republicans. Were they were communists? They were taking orders from Moscow. They were very anti-clerical, very anti-church. They burned down over ten thousand churches. I think one third of the churches in Spain, and basically priests and nuns and religious were killed on sight in the streets. Were shot on sight in the streets. It was very much a standard communist, anti-Christian, anti-Catholic revolution that had succeeded in Spain until Franco had staged a military coup to um, take back Spain from the communists. There was a uh, successful communist revolution in Mexico. I know that's not Western Europe, but just to refresh everyone's mind at the beginning of the 20th century. And Mexico was taken over by the communists. Um, The uh, Germany, parts of Germany were taken over by the communists. Uh, In the 1930s, uh, Bavaria, I believe, was under communist rule a successful there was a com, a successful communist revolution that was uh, put down after i don't know what it was 3 or 4 months but it had been successful and in fact the rise of the fascists in europe look we, we our culture is pretty left wing and so our history has been whitewashed to some extent, to a great extent. Look at the French Revolution. The French revolutionaries in American textbooks were the good guys, and the king and queen of France and the church and the clergy were the bad guys. Well, surprise, surprise, that's not true. The revolutionaries who killed tens and tens and tens and perhaps hundreds of thousands of priests and religious in France slaughtered them. The guillotine wasn't efficient enough, so they had what they called drownings, noyades, where they would fill barges with priests and nuns and sink the barges in the water. They would tie the priests and nuns' hands and feet so they couldn't swim and sink the barges in the water so that they could kill dozens or hundreds at a time more efficiently and so forth. They were not the good guys. They were the bad guys. Um, the Anyway, back on track. This, the, what was happening in Europe in the first half of the 20th century, and especially in the period from the Bolshevik Revolution in, in Russia in 1917 until World War II, was you had an ongoing communist attempt to take over Europe, sometimes successful. I think it was partly successful in Portugal. It was definitely successful in Spain, and it was successful for a time in Germany. It was a threat in Italy. It was a threat throughout Europe. 
And then in order to fight that communist takeover, you had the fascists emerge. The fascists are, are, are portrayed as the bad guys in history books. And even I will admit that Hitler, who was a fascist, was a really, really bad guy. And Mussolini was, to a large extent, a bad guy. Um, but the fascist movement in Europe emerged originally as an attempt to save Christianity, to save Christendom from the atheist, communist, Bolshevik menace. That's what gave the fascists their popularity. That's what gave them their popular support. That's what even gave them the support of the church in the beginning, is because they presented themselves as saving Christian Europe from atheist, Bolshevik, communism. So that's the backdrop. France was in that stew pot at the time. France fell to the Nazis, obviously. Then there emerged, they were called the Maquis, or the French resistance movement, which were um, largely men, but also women, who took to the hills, who took to hiding in the forest, and tried to sabotage the Nazis who were ruling France. Now, many of them were patriotic Frenchmen who just wanted a free France. However, they got infiltrated by the communists. And many of them, actually many of those groups of resistance fighters in France were actually communist cells. They would actually sometimes even kill the patriotic Frenchmen who were also in the, French, in, in the resistance. They were using the French resistance to try to defeat the Germans and turn France communist. When the Allies saved France from the fascists, from the Third Reich, you still had these gangs of communist resistant members, so to speak, but really communist gangs that were not only, you know, could come out of the bushes, could come could come out of hiding because the Germans were gone, but they were kind of welcomed as heroes because they were stirred together, mixed together with the French resistance. They used their popularity, they used their infiltration to date, so to speak, to try to continue the communist revolt in France. And if I'm not mistaken, some major cities in France, I believe uh, Grenoble turned communist for a while. It was a very, very real threat. They were, um, they were creating chaos. You know, they had bombed railroad tracks and destroyed factories and so forth under the Germans. They continued to bomb railroad tracks and destroy factories and so forth under the liberated France. They were still working towards a revolution. And they were quite, quite, quite successful, so much so that, as I said, some of France had turned communist, and the French government was seriously anticipating a civil war and perhaps a communist revolution. So that's the background. So when did the apparitions appear, begin? They began on the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, December 8, 1947. Um, I, I don't have time to go into who Marta Robin was, but she's a venerable now. She's um, definitely, there's a cause for her canonization. Um, she, among other impressive facts, um, let me, uh, okay. Uh, she was born in 1902. She became totally bedridden um, when she was 21 years old. She remained bedridden until her death 
uh, at the age of 79. So she was bedridden for about 58 years. And from the age of 28 onwards, from 1930 onwards, until her death in 1981, for 51 years, she subsisted on nothing but the Eucharist, nothing but Holy Communion. That's it. And she, this, is, this is the 20th century. Of course, people were suspicious. Of course, she was put under watch and under guard to see whether there was, she was maybe sneaking food, somebody was sneaking food to her. But she passed all the tests. She was reliably observed to live on nothing but the Eucharist for 51 years. She was a victim soul. She was bedridden, as I said, for 58 years. Um, and um, from 1931 on, she would relive the Passion every Friday. She would have the stigmata that bled. She would have wounds from the crown of thorns in her you know, around her head that bled and so forth. And five successive bishops of her diocese, which is the Diocese of Valence, all said that they knew her personally and that she was worthy of belief, of trust. So she was a very impressive modern-day saint. And it was she who said to her priest spiritual director, don't worry, France will be saved. It will be saved from the communists through the prayers of small children. So with that rather lengthy introduction, I see, well, well, we don't have a call yet. Let me begin reading the account of the apparition itself. It's incredibly beautiful, needless to say. I, by the way, the author of this account um, uh, interviewed I mean, you know, we're, we're, this is ancient, is an ancient history. 1947, the people were still alive. This account is probably from about the 1980s. All the, you know, all the villagers who saw this were alive. The, the children themselves were alive. This is uh, an account that comes from the participants themselves, okay? So, the Blessed Virgin Mary appeared on December 8th, the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, coming up in a few days, um, to four little girls between the ages of uh, 7 and 12 years old. There were two sisters, Jacqueline and Jeanette, who were 12 and 7 years old. And there was their cousin, Nicole. And there was a fourth little girl who was, was a neighbor who was 8 years old named Laura. They were working class people. The, uh, the two sisters' family had a pastry shop. Uh, their cousin's family were farmers. And the um, neighbor girl, interestingly enough, came from, let's say, an irregular family where um, the mother had a number of children by different fathers and was, in fact, living with a man out of wedlock and was virulently anti-Catholic, that family, hated the church. Um, the other three girls' family were non-practicing Catholics. Um, there are lots of those in France. Anyway, so the little girls had no, no religious home life, to say the least, um, and they didn't go to church, but the school that they went to was run by nuns, and they would go walk for walks with an elderly neighbor who was quite devout. Her name is Madame, oh, uh, excuse me, her name was Mademoiselle Grandet, and uh, she, on these walks with the little girls, the two sisters, 
would um, always stop in the church to pray. And the little girls would stop in the church with her to pray. And the old lady would teach the little girls about their heavenly mama, of course, the Blessed Virgin Mary. Okay, so that's the background. Now, um, on the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, December 8th, the, the little girls got to like stopping in the church to pray. So they would sometimes stop in the church to pray on their own or to visit their heavenly mama or whatever. So anyway, on, on this Feast of the Immaculate Conception, um, after lunch, the little girls were walking back to school. They ate lunch at home in those days. And they had a little extra time. They decided to stop in the church to pray. As they entered the door of the church, they, I'm now reading from the account, they had the odd sensation of being gently guided as though by a kindly hand on the shoulder. They crossed themselves with holy water, crossed the church, and stopped to say a Hail Mary at the statue of St. Therese. And then they went to the altar of the Virgin Mary. They crossed themselves again and began to say ten Hail Marys, as was their normal routine. After the fourth Hail Mary, Jacqueline, she was the 12-year-old, the oldest, suddenly saw a light in the corner of the church. Its source was a wonderfully beautiful lady dressed in white. She stood in a grotto several feet above the floor. Her hands were joined in prayer, and a rosary was draped over her right arm. An angel holding a lily was kneeling to her left, contemplating her with adoration. Jacqueline nudged Nicole, that was her younger sister, and whispered, look. I got that wrong. Nicole was the cousin. Anyway, um, Jeanette, who was the youngest sister, the seven-year-old, who was the only one who had a rosary, had dropped it. She and Nicole bent down to retrieve it. Both girls looked up and simultaneously brought their hands to their mouths in astonishment. Oh, the beautiful lady, exclaimed Nicole. Oh, the beautiful angel, the beautiful angel, exclaimed Jeanette, falling back into her chair and putting her hands together in a gesture of admiration. The lady smiled kindly down at them all although mostly a little Jeanette. As for Jeanette, she couldn't take her eyes off the angel. The girls did not know who these people were and did not dare approach. Jacqueline whispered, Listen, we've got to go tell people there's a beautiful lady in the church. So they rushed out of the church, glancing over their shoulders as they went to make sure she was still there. Um, anyway, they found Laura's 13-year-old sister, Sergine, excuse me, Sergine, who came with them back to the church to see the beautiful lady. The lady had not disappeared, um, and the original four little girls could see the lady, but Sergine, who was 13 years old, was not able to see the lady. So the other little girls started describing the lady, as they were looking at her, to Sergine. They, said, they described her as follows. A lady clothed in a brilliantly white dress with gold trim at neck and wrists, her bare feet peeking out below. She wore a blue sash knotted on the left 
and carried a rosary of white beads and gold fittings. A veil of uh, white different from the white of her dress covered her head, ears, and shoulders and came down to her feet. A few curls escaped at her forehead and, to the admiration of the girls, tresses of blonde hair flowed out over her shoulders and down to her knees. She stood with her hands together in the traditional attitude of prayer and radiated strong but not blinding golden light. Most impressive to the girls was her beauty, especially her ravishing smile and blue eyes full of sweetness and purity. She and the angel were in a rocky grotto, and on the rocks below, in two lines, golden letters, spelled out, O Mary, conceived without sin, pray for us who have recourse to thee. Let me back up and make a few comments about this. First of all, it's the only apparition that I've ever, that I know of where the Blessed Virgin Mary had long golden curls, long golden hair that flowed out from beneath her veil and went down to her knees. And the statue that she had asked to be made shows that that knee-length golden tresses. Um. And uh, the other thing is, of course, that that prayer that appeared under her feet, O Mary conceived without sin, pray for us who have recourse to thee, is the prayer from the Rudabach apparition in 1846. Uh, if I may say so, if any of you have are familiar with my witness testimony about my experience of the Blessed Virgin Mary that brought me into the Catholic Church, you'll also realize that there's a tremendous similarity in what they saw and in what I saw, including the fact that she told me that prayer, O Mary conceived without sin, pray for us of recourse to thee. Anyway, but back to their account, not my account. The angel was on the left, kneeling on his right knee. He wore a robe of rosy white, also trimmed with gold. He had blue eyes and long, curling blonde hair. His left hand was upon his heart, and in his right he held out a lily stalk of three buds and three blooms. His wings were white, rimmed with gold. The feathers were small and shining. The feathers and the lady's blue sash trembled in an imperceptible breeze blowing from the right. The angel radiated a white light even brighter than the golden light of the lady. For the time it took to describe all this, the lady remained and then disappeared in a cloud of silvery dust. The kids left. They ran home, you know, excitedly telling their mother, you know, Mama, Mama, we saw a beautiful lady. Their mother thought, of course, it was a game of make-believe and wouldn't listen. However, the devout older lady who lived next door, the Mademoiselle Grandin, um, was at her house, and they ran over to tell her, and she immediately understood who the lady was and believed them instantly and was very joyful about it, but reminded the kids they'd better get back to school. Remember, this was all like during the lunch break. So they go back to school. You know, they, they tell the teachers, who are nuns, the nuns make fun of them and yell at them and say, you know, it's a sin to make up lies like that and make up stories like that and so forth. And they wouldn't believe the kids. 
the uh, parish priest was at the school and he had the same response, wouldn't believe the kids and, and threatened punishment and said they were crazy and so forth. Um, but the kids um, after, I'm leaving out a lot of neat details, but I have no choice. Um, uh, I, I will put up, I will put up the uh, PDF of the account that I'm reading. It's 30 pages long. I will put it up after the show on my uh, blog. I have a blog. The, the, you know, the, the name of the blog is blog dot salvation is from the Jews, all one word dot com. So blog dot salvation is from the Jews dot com. And within probably a half an hour after the show, I'll have this PDF uh, file up on my blog. If anybody wants the whole 30 pages, it's very worthwhile. But anyway, um, so they, 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 after school, they run back to the church. Um, and um, um, when they get to the church, uh, they see that she's still there. She's waiting for us, cried Laura. The lady smiled affectionately and with a slow motion of her right index finger signaled them to approach. The girls came forward and knelt just below her. The lady's expression now changed to one of deep sadness and very slowly in a soft voice she said, Tell the little children to pray for France for her need is great. And then she smiled again. This was a reference to the communist revolution, although the kids probably were not aware of that. Um, so, and then Jacqueline um, had the little girls ask the lady, quote, ask if she isn't our heavenly mama that the neighbor had told him about. So the two little girls asked her, and in the same beautiful soft voice, the lady answered, but of course I'm your heavenly mama. So then the kids got a little bit braver and asked, who is the angel with you? And then the, um, uh, the lady didn't answer, but the angel himself answered, I am the angel Gabriel. And very interestingly, the children would debate among themselves afterwards whether the angel answered in a masculine voice or a feminine voice and whether the angel's face... <clears throat> Was, was more that of a man or that of a woman. Excuse me. <clears throat> now that's pretty interesting because I believe that the church teaching is that angels do not have gender. They're neither male nor female. And I doubt that these little children knew that, but they couldn't figure out between them whether the angel was a he or she. Um, and then the angel, uh, then, excuse me, the virgin bent forwards to them and holding out her right hand, she said, give me your hands to kiss. So one by one, they extended their hands to her. The little ones couldn't reach her. So the 12-year-old lifted them up as though they were weightless so that they could reach out their hands. Afterwards, during the investigation, so to speak, it was found out that the 12-year-old who had lifted them up as though they were weightless during the apparition, were unable to, you know, move them a quarter of an inch off the ground, was unable to, wasn't strong enough to budge them, naturally speaking. But during this 
event. She effortlessly lifted them up. They all held out their hands, and the Blessed Virgin Mary kissed their hands. Lucky children. And get this. uh, The girls felt the human solidity of the Virgin's hand, holding their hand, and the softness and warmth of her lips kissing their hand. So I hope we're all terribly jealous right now. Now, um, uh, when the girls left the church, they noticed their fingers bore a trace of the kiss, a white shining oval. So they ran back to school. They thought they'd convince the teachers and the priest of the reality of the apparition by showing them this white shining oval, but it had disappeared by the time they got to the school. And before they left, the Blessed Virgin Mary told them, come back this evening at 5 o'clock and tomorrow at 1 o'clock. So they returned at 5 o'clock, and it was the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. So there were a number of people in the church, and there was going to be a a, uh, benediction of the Blessed Sacrament for the feast day. So um, anyway, so the girls went back to the church, and... um, uh, at first, the, there was going to be a rosary in the church for the feast day. You know, a number of people gathered in church. And during the rosary, the girls' classmates, because they had heard the story at school that day, kept asking, is she there? Is she there? Where is she? Well, eventually during the rosary, the virgin appeared, and she smiled at Jacqueline and signaled her to approach. And Jacqueline was approaching when the priest appeared at the altar to expose the Blessed Sacrament for the benediction service. And at that point, the Blessed Virgin Mary disappeared. Um, uh, Let me read the account there, actually. At this moment, at the moment when Jacqueline was approaching the altar, the bell sounded announcing the Blessed Sacrament carried forward by Father Chazel. When Jacqueline looked back at the Virgin, she was gone. After the benediction, the Blessed Sacrament was returned to the tabernacle, and then the Blessed Virgin Mary appeared. Now, when the girls told this later to the priest, it caused him to believe in the apparition because the theology was so solid that the Blessed Virgin Mary wasn't going to be there uh, upstaging, so to speak, overshadowing the presence of her son, the very real presence of her son, in the Blessed Sacrament in the Monstrance. So when he was going to be brought out, she had to disappear. And when he was put back in the altar, then she could reappear. Isn't that beautiful? Do whatever he tells you. She's she's there to point to her son. She's not there to distract from her son, right? Um, So anyway, when the Virgin reappeared, she smiled again and signaled Jacqueline to approach again. And... um, um. Uh, anyway, I, I'm going to skip what happened after that. There isn't isn't much of a. Uh, she didn't say anything. I mean, the Blessed Virgin Mary didn't. Um. As, anyway, and then the apparition ended, and um, the Blessed Virgin left, and the nuns who were there during, of course, the benediction service, um, you know, were puzzled a little bit, you know, wavering in their disbelief, but still very antagonistic to the idea that the um, apparition was was for real. But as, as the account says, uh, her skepticism was shaken. 
um, from having seen what she saw. She didn't see the Blessed Virgin Mary, but she saw the girls in the presence of the apparition. So anyway, on to the next day. The Blessed Virgin Mary appeared for seven days straight. That's something to be jealous about too, huh? from the Feast of the Immaculate Conception until December 14th. By the way, I will simply point out that if you think our country is in a circumstance parallel to that of France in 1947, in the presence of a hostile takeover, um, notice the period in which the Blessed Virgin Mary appeared to ask for prayers for the protection of the country was December 8th until December 14th. Look at where we are now on the calendar and where the events associated with the election are going to be, right? I believe December 7th is when the electors have to be certified. And I don't remember, is it December 14th when the electors actually vote? Is it December 13th when the electors actually vote? I don't remember, but it's very, very close to the same window in which the Blessed Virgin Mary appeared every day. So uh, anyway, the girls go back to the church at 1 o'clock the next day, as the Blessed Virgin had asked them. And um, the girls knelt by the altar, began to recite the Hail Mary. Suddenly a golden sphere, three feet across and shining brightly, appeared. And um, it opened and became a curtain of silvery light, and um, in front of which the grotto appeared, and the Blessed Virgin Mary and the angel. Uh, this time, the Blessed Virgin Mary's hair did not was not visible under the veil, but was was um, presumably pulled back and hidden under the veil. And the inscription that appeared beneath her. Remember, last time the inscription was "O Mary, conceived without sin, pray for us who have recourse to thee." This time, the inscription was, "I am the Immaculate Conception." which, of course, is what the Blessed Virgin Mary identified herself as when she appeared to St. Bernadette in Lourdes. She's going through the sequence, right? Because the um, apparition at Rudabach, where she said, um, O Mary, conceived without sin, pray for us, have recourse to thee, was, I believe, 1846. And I am the Immaculate Conception when she appeared to Bernadette was 1858. Anyway, so um, anyway, so Jacqueline um, asked the Blessed Virgin Mary, can I bring my friends? The Blessed Virgin Mary replied, yes, but they will not see me. The kids ran out. They brought back all their friends. They went back to the altar. The apparition was gone, but they knelt and began to pray. And um, the Blessed Virgin Mary reappeared, beginning with the golden sphere again. And then she beckoned the four girls forward, and she um, she said to them, kiss the cross of my rosary. And this time, instead of her kissing their hands, she held out her rosary, and all of the girls kissed the crucifix on the rosary. Again, the little girls had to be lifted up to be able to reach the rosary. And then um, after they kissed the rosary, they knelt again, and this is really beautiful. The Virgin Mary, with great slowness, slowness, made a sign of the cross. It took two minutes, two minutes to make the sign of the cross. She did it so slowly and deliberately. And then the girls imitated her. Oh, no, I'm sorry. 
It, it took two minutes to complete first her doing it and the girls doing it. So it only took one minute, I guess, for her to do the sign of the cross. Now, um, the, uh, the witnesses there were amazed to see the four girls not looking at each other, but apparently at a point at the wall, simultaneously making the st same strangely slow motions. The angel did not cross himself. When this was complete, the virgin said to the children, sadly, I am going to tell you a secret which you can tell in three days. And then the secret was, pray for France, which in these days is in great danger. And then she added, go tell the pastor to come at two o'clock and that he should bring the children in a crowd to pray. Am I allowed to say, pray for the United States and in fact for the world, which is in these days in great danger? Bring your children and a crowd to pray? I must be allowed to say that, right? And it, isn't it beautiful that the Virgin Mary and uh, Marta Robin made it clear that it was the prayers of the little children that would save France? Look at who the Blessed Virgin Mary appeared to in uh, Fatima and had pray to end uh, World War I and to save Portugal from the worst of World War I. It was the little children, right? Who she appeared to in Lourdes um, and so forth and so on. There is something about little children praying that is of incomprehensible value to heaven. Perhaps if the United States will be saved, it won't be saved, <laughs> dare I say it, uh, by the cardinals and by the bishops and the USCCB and the monsignors and even our faithful parish priests. Maybe it'll be saved by those little children with the high little voices saying, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee praying the rosary on their knees, right? With their parents or with their grandparents. It's what saved France in 1947. It's what saved Portugal in 1917. So anyway, I, I don't have any small children, but believe me, if I did, <laughs> I would be withholding their ice cream until they said the rosary, that's for sure. I didn't want to say I would be beating them to say the rosary. I can't do that. I'm sure the Blessed Virgin Mary wouldn't want any rosaries that were extorted that way. But anyway, so I, I have to kind of short circuit this. But anyway, they returned um, every day. They were told, the Blessed Virgin Mary uh, told them to return generally twice a day. They would come back. Not surprisingly, each time there'd be more and more people with them. The, by the last time, by the way, there were 2,000 people cramming into this church, which probably was designed, you know, for 40 people, 50 people. Anyway, very beautifully, uh, starting the next day when they returned, um, I'll, I'll, I'll read that account. Uh, Jacqueline, the, the, the little girls who were the visionaries, along with some 20 other children and 30 adults, returned that day, were in the church. They said 10 Hail Marys, and then the golden ball appeared, and once again became a silvery curtain in front of which was the grotto with the Blessed Virgin Mary and the angel. 
Um, and uh, this time, the Blessed Virgin Mary beckoned to the girls and said, Sing Hail Mary, full of grace, the song I love so well. Okay. And there is a tune um, in France that is the standard tune for the Hail Mary. Je vous salue, Marie, pleine de grâce. I'm not going to inflict my incompetent singing on you. But it's a it's a kind of typical little ditty song. Maybe I won't inflict my singing on you, but maybe if I can find it quickly enough, I may inflict... Um, let me see if I can... If I can uh, if I can find it here. Good. Well, that's the more successful than I expected it to be. Um, I couldn't resist. But uh, anyway, okay, so... Back to the story. But what's so neat is after this second day, every time she appeared, she began by asking them to sing the um, Hail Mary full of grace. And of course, we know as Catholics that when you sing, you pray twice. So um, anyway, so then she told them to come every day at one o'clock and they came every day at one o'clock. And um, the next day, uh, there were 150 people there, and again, she began by saying, uh, sing the Hail Mary, and then they prayed, of course, and this time, she held out her hand and told the children to kiss her hand. So, once again, the entire crowd in the church saw the girls, bizarrely to them, of course, but they, of course, believed the Blessed Virgin Mary was there, um, lean forward and, you know, make the gesture of kissing a hand. And again, the eldest girl had to lift up the other two girls effortlessly, as though they were weightless, to uh, kiss the Blessed Virgin Mary's hand. Once again, we can be jealous, I think. And uh, then the Blessed Virgin Mary, in that apparition, asked for a grotto to be, um, to be built there. It is built there. By the way, the church still exists. Il Bouchard is, um, it's in the Loire Valley, um, I guess is the easiest way to describe where it is in France. And um, the town is still there, the church is still there, and the, the grotto that was built was still there. And it gets many, many, many pilgrims, not as many pilgrims as it would be nice for it to get, but it must get, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of pilgrims a year. Then, um, then the mother of the girls asked, I better keep an eye on the clock, the mother of the girls asked, um, actually asked her daughter, asked the Blessed Virgin to perform a miracle so that everyone will believe. So then Jacqueline went back and knelt before the Blessed Virgin Mary and said, Madame, would you perform a miracle so that everyone will believe? Slowly and kindly, the Virgin answered, I have not come here to perform miracles, but to tell you to pray for France. But tomorrow you will see clearly and you won't wear glasses anymore. Now, the backstory is the following. Jacqueline, the oldest girl who was 12, had very, very thick, we used to call them Coke bottle glasses. And she was blind as a bat. She needed these very thick glasses to see anything. But worse than that, 
she had some kind of eye conditions that her eyes were continually oozing with pus to the point where she always had a hand of have a handkerchief in her hand to catch the pus to wipe away the pus because for instance if she was in school the pus would drip on her school book would drip on the desk that's how bad it was every morning when she woke up she could not open her eyes because her eyelids were caked over with this hard crust of dried pus so every morning her mother came to her room with a bowl of warm water to wash the dried crust from her eyes before she could even open her eyes. That's how bad the situation was. So the Blessed Virgin Mary said, I have not come here to perform miracles, but to tell you to pray for France. But tomorrow you will see clearly and you won't wear glasses anymore. And that happened. The next day she woke up, you know, no crust on her eyes, sprang out of bed. Mama, I can see perfectly. So um, anyway, and also, by the way, on this day, she told the children a secret. But this secret, she told them that they can never tell anybody. And they all promised not to tell anybody. And they never told anybody. And when um, a not very nice priest tried to intimidate the youngest child into telling the secret, saying that they would come with guns to shoot her if she wouldn't tell, she simply lowered her head and replied, well... They'll just have to kill me. Isn't that beautiful? It's again, the children of Fatima did the same thing. Boy, I am running out of time. I'm running out of time. I'm running out of time. Um, okay. Again, the next time she, Blessed Virgin Mary appeared, she asked the children to sing once again that little song. Do I dare inflict the, um, the recording on you again? Maybe I do. Maybe I'll go out playing that song. Anyway, um, now the children asked um, uh, why she was appearing. And she answered, because there are pious people here. Um, and, uh, and then the children asked, oh, by now, of course, everyone in town was coming. As I said, the last day there were 2,000 people. The streets were absolutely clogged in this little village with cars and bicycles and, you know, wagons. People came, you know, from all over. And so, of course, you know, grown-ups, they want to be healed. <laughs> they want miracles and they want to be healed. So um, they got the children to ask whether she would cure all the people who were suffering from physical illnesses. And um, the Blessed Virgin Mary looked down at, and her reply was, there will be happiness in families. Isn't that beautiful also? So the Blessed Virgin Mary did not agree to heal the physical illnesses, but to heal the families. To heal the families. 
She knows what's important, doesn't she? Happy family and nothing else matters. Um, also, happy families and pious families are where souls for heaven come from, right? So, of course, it's a very... Uh, I mean, I'm not here to say it's, it rings very true, but it reflects very, very deeply and resonantly that she that the miracle she should perform of healing would be the healing of families, the healing of family life. And uh, then again, she asked them to sing the um, the Hail Mary. And uh, I think I have to end there because I'm out of time. Anyway, I've been reading about the um, apparition at Il Bouchard. If you want to look it up, that is spelled I-L-E, that's the French word for island, hyphen Bouchard, B-O-U-C-H-A-R-D. And again, as soon as the show ends, I'll um, put up a link to the PDF file of the account, the 30-page account of what happened that I've been reading from. There are lots of really beautiful little details. And I hope that this whole show has been a prayer. Um, I will go out again with the song and of course the song is if you know french it's french for hail mary full of grace the lord is with you and so forth and so i hope i'm i'm begging you actually uh to pray it along with the song and to of course uh, dedicate the rest of this beautiful day dedicated to the blessed virgin mary as a first saturday to the blessed virgin mary and if possible of course fulfill the uh uh the conditions of the promises associated with the five first Saturdays. And with that, I have to say goodbye. You've been listening to Jesus, the promised Messiah of Judaism with me, your host, Roy Showman on Radio Maria. Uh, please join us again next week. Bye for now. And here is that chant again.